It is now my pleasure to introduce to you someone that you already know quite well. Tony Heilman has been an Ethical Society member for at least six years, and he has been very active right from the start. With Don, he wrote the Trustees Manual that is used as a guide to start new ethical societies and to keep established ones going right. Tony was executive director during Don's sabbatical. He was elected to the board. He continues to be active in the colloquies that we have on the second and fourth Sundays of every month at 9.30 in the morning. And now, Tony is the executive director of the American Humanist Association. He is relocating their office from Buffalo, New York to DC. And now, Tony will speak on today's theme. Good morning. As Joe said, I've been hanging around here quite some time, and the first time I spoke here, whenever I'd get nervous, I'd calm myself by saying, relax, you know, these people know you. And this time I stand up here representing not just me, but a particular point of view and an organization. And I would think to myself, you better be careful because these people know you. <laughs> Somehow there was a shift. <laughs> but I'm here to speak about humanism and to contrast it to ethical culture in likeness and indifference and to help you decide if you're a humanist. I know the theme this season has been the coming century, but I'm not a prognosticator. I mean, humanism knocks that out of you real fast. But if you listen closely, you'll find the future of humanism woven into my remarks. Everybody needs a philosophy, a general view about the nature of the world and our place in it. Everybody needs a philosophy, and everybody has at least a rudimentary one. Some of us struggle continuously to establish personal values and beliefs that help us maintain a balanced view of how the world works. Others simply accept predominant cultural views about the larger questions. The great majority of humanity today has accepted a traditional, usually religious outlook. We here in this room have not. Humanism tells us that whatever our philosophy may be, the responsibility for the kind of world in which we live rests with us. Humanism believes that knowledge should be gained through reason, observation, and experience, rather than accepted as an article of faith. If you agree with that, you might be a humanist. Humanism is also about acting positively to move ourselves, our culture, and indeed our world toward the better. If you agree with that, you might be a humanist. If you love and revel in the sheer glory of life, you might be a humanist. Humanism is for those who love life, who relish the adventure of being part of new discoveries and about, them, about themselves and about the world of which they are a part. 
If you've ever had a peak experience, you might be a humanist. For Abraham Maslow, founder of humanistic psychology, reaching a peak experience, a node of feeling fully actualized as a human being, that was the purpose of life. And if you want to make plateaus of those peaks, if you strive for extended periods of fulfillment and joy, those times that New Age thinker Ken Wilber holds out hope for, and that most of us have experienced a time or two in our lives, if you long to live in that state of complete actualization, you might be a humanist. If you agree with Protagoras that the human is the measure of all things, or with Sophocles, that of all the many wonders of the world, there is none so wonderful as the human, you might be a humanist. Now, my mission today is not to convince or convert. It's to help you discover if you are indeed a humanist. I'll begin by framing humanism in its basics, go through some of the history of the development of humanism, offer a definition of humanism in today's language, and explore how humanism inf informs and gives meaning to our lives. I'm both an ethical culturist and a humanist, and there's nothing at all contradictory about that. The two are, are, are different, but completely complementary in philosophy and wholly compatible in practice. They even fit together institutionally. But for the purposes of identity today, I speak as a humanist and address you as ethical culturists even though I believe us to be one. But I'll let you be the judge of that after you've heard what, I've had to, what I have to say. Ethical culture, as is evident in your statement of purpose, puts itself forth as being religious and humanistic. Does not purport to be a religion, necessarily, but justifiably claims to fill in our lives the same needs historically met by traditional religions. It follows then that ethical culturists, whether or not they consider ethical culture there or even a religion, are in many respects religious folk, or at least people for whom the religious sentiment resonates. Likewise, ethical culturists are humanistic. Whether or not you're an avowed, out and out, out of the closet, card-carrying humanist like I am, we are alike. You and I share many beliefs and values and we came to them much the same way. Like ethical culture, there's no central dogma to humanism. Each humanist must define his or her own beliefs. As an ethical culturist, you are humanistic, and you might be a humanist. So, four areas to address. The basics of humanism, historic development, modern definition, meaning today. Let me kind of block out humanism without quite defining it yet. I'll do that. I'll get to it. Boiled right down to it, humanism is trust in humanity's ability and responsibility to cope with life. Alone. Unaided. Democracy, human rights and responsibilities, self-endowed meaning, and a naturalistic outlook are the hallmarks of humanism. If that draws you, you might be a humanist. Humanists have a deep love for life and an ambition to live it well and fully. We respect the worth and dignity of the individual 
and long for the dignity of living our lives in harmony without bias or egocentric motive. Humanism is concerned wholly with this life and holds that individuals are responsible for their own lives. It holds that your life has meaning to the extent you give it meaning and share in happiness and is significant to the extent the world is a better place because you've been here. If you can sign on to that, you might be a humanist. Humanism views truth not as absolute, but as transitory, evolutionary. Humanism derives its transitory truth through the use of critical inquiry, reason, and scientific method, and gives it meaning through experience. We are actually, we are, excuse me, we are acutely aware of what we do not know and comfortable with that unawareness in a belief that perhaps someday we will know, and we're patient while waiting to know. This last point about not knowing is a nuanced distinction between humanism and ethical culture. Practically, it's a distinction without a difference. Philosophically, there is no such thing. I sometimes think philosophers exist to make mountains out of molehills and to create large differences where small ones exist. Ethical culture treats questions of origin and destiny and other metaphysical concerns with benign neglect. To me, one of Felix Adler's most courageous stands was to simply say, it doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't care where, if anywhere, we came from, and I don't care where, if anywhere, we're going. I care about this life. I care about you. That was Adler. Humanism addresses these matters with a staunch and unwavering agnosticism. We don't know, and we're certain we don't know. <laughs> we're also, as I said, comfortable in not knowing. Now, I don't advocate either stand particularly. As I said, there's, there's not a practical wit of difference between the two. But part of my mission is to point out the differences between ethical culture and humanism, so I have. Actually, this is probably the most central difference, and it doesn't amount to much. <laughs> Ethical culture on this point is kind of an applied apathy, while humanism is a pragmatic acceptance of our limitations. Both focus on the present, on this life, and how we live it in relation to each other and our surroundings, all of which we depend upon. And both have as their goal to leave the world a better place than we found it. Another similarity is that humanism, like ethical culture, has as one of its central tenets a strong sense of personal responsibility. This is not unique to our perspective. It was a Unitarian, Scott Alexander, who spoke of a moral and ethical faith which believes it matters ultimately that human persons and communities work wisely, compassionately, and tirelessly to live together in a humane and ethical fashion. He was describing humanism but his remarks apply equally to ethical culture. The epic of humanism has had three significant chapters. The first is actually a preface, and the other two blend into a single volume with a lot of subsections. The three are the time of the ancient and revered Greek philosophers, the Renaissance, 
in the modern era, which began with a revival about 150 years ago and continues progressing today. There were some other developments, so it's actually been a pretty constant, though somewhat jerky flow since about 1500. The early strands of what we now call humanism can be found in Socrates' plea for an examined life, two and a half millennia ago. The individualism of humanism dates back to that time and is exemplified today in each and every unique construction of personal beliefs. Socrates equated virtue with knowledge of one's true self and spent his life seeking wisdom about right conduct so that he could guide the moral and intellectual improvements of Athens. Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture, spent his life in the same pursuit. These are worthy ambitions that form the foundation of ethical culture and of humanism. It was Aristotle who first introduced the, uh, and, um, what I spoke of before, and will speak of again, the concept of happiness, of the good life, as the source of life's meaning. Since then, it's been in and out of philosophical fashion several times, but the battle over what constitutes happiness has raged unabated. Lloyd and Mary Moraine spoke of happiness in their recently re-released 1954 classic, Humanism is the Next Step. As a starting point for happiness, let us take the ideal that this life should be experienced deeply, lived fully, with sensitive awareness and appreciation for that which is around us. In his book, The Conquest of Happiness, that irascible humanist Bertrand Russell referred to zest as the most universal and distinctive mark of the happy individual. However you phrase it, humanists love life and find immense happiness in it. If that appeals to you, you might be a humanist. The Renaissance, <clears throat> marked by a return to learning and a rediscovery of the ancient Greek classics, brought renewed effort towards individual expression and freedom. Based in a profound belief in the greatness to which the human being could aspire, the humanism of the Renaissance emphasized the power and potential of the human mind. Imbued with a scientific method of exploration and discovery, the dimensions of the human being were open to vast possibilities. Now, rooted as it was in those ancient Greek teachings and tutors, and certainly elitist in the beginning, the humanism of the Renaissance was far from a movement, organized or otherwise. Yet the humanistic thinking of that era, with its emphasis on the individual, eventually produced a class of educated lay citizens whose air of self-confidence grew exponentially with their knowledge. The humanists of that period were mostly Christians whose return to the classics was intended to rescue religion from medieval corruption and oppression. It did that to some degree, but more significantly, it forever altered the landscape of higher ideals. Their focus on humanity rather than divinity wrested idealisms from the, from the clutches of mythology and firmly embedded it in human experience. That was a tremendous contribution. The postulates of the Renaissance were polished throughout the Reformation and Enlightenment. 
The word humanism was coined and gained currency in the first half of the 19th century. And though they lived earlier, the thinking of the likes of Newton and Kant, as well as others, sprung forth in full bloom about a century and a half ago, around the time Felix Adler was born. That's when modern humanism began to emerge. This progression of humanism that began with the revival of the classics and the Renaissance and grew through the Reformation and the Enlightenment matured into Humanist Manifesto I in 1933 and Humanist Manifesto II in 1972. But it was perhaps best epitomized by Corliss Lamont and his epic philosophy of humanism. Now in its eighth edition, it first appeared in 1949. The philosophy of humanism, he said, constitutes a profound and passionate affirmation of the joys and beauties, the braveries and idealisms of existence upon this earth. It heartily welcomes all life-enhancing and healthy pleasures, from the vigorous enjoyments of youth to the contemplative delights of mellowed age. I love that phrase, mellowed age. It's just kind of growing on me, you know? From the simple gratifications of food and drink, sunshine and sports, to the complex appreciations of art and literature, friendship and social communion. Humanism believes in the beauty of love and the love of beauty and exalts in the pure magnificence of external nature. Now, if that makes your heart sing, and how could it not? <laughs> you might be a humanist. <laughs> now, the promised definition. This is dangerous territory. So I'll rely on others. I'll tie them together with the minimum statement on humanism issued by the International Humanist and Ethical Union. And by the way, the ethical culture movement is the ethical in the International Humanist and Ethical Union. You're an important player in the humanist movement and have been for a long, long time. The minimum statement is a recent work drafted by Norwegian humanist leader Levi Fregel. This is the original version adopted by the IHEU board in Prague, 1991. Humanism is a democratic and ethical life stance which affirms that human beings have the right and responsibility to give meaning and shape to their own lives. It is not theistic and does not accept supernatural views of reality. Now, this is not a creed every humanist must accept, nor do they. It's an open-ended, progressive statement which humanists may take from what they wish and make of what they will. Let me read it again. Humanism is a democratic and ethical life stance which confirms that human beings have the right and responsibility to give meaning and shape to their own lives. It's not theistic and does not accept supernatural views of reality. Harold Blackham was a mover of note in the British Ethical Union. In 1954, he wrote in his Essentials of Humanism, humanism is a body of conviction about reason and science, freedom and morality, ideals and values, which requires commitment, choice, and action. For it requires the, re the creation of a personal life of one's own and of a world, a humanist civiliza civilization. Excuse me. Therefore, 
Humanism is a call to all, a vision of what is to be achieved. Humanists are dedicated to the application of reason and science to an understanding of the universe and to the solving of human problems. We're engaged in art no less than science, environment no less than ethics, and culture and tradition no less than modernism and rationality. Julian Huxley defined the idea of humanism as human control by human effort in accordance with human ideals. Human control, our accomplishments, through our own efforts based on our own ideals. Now, one of the niggling points about humanism and about ethical culture has always been just what is it? Is it a philosophy? Is it a religion? Can it be? Arnold Ruse settled that for me when he said, real humanism has to abolish neither philosophy nor religion but to establish a new system for both. Humanism does that in embracing both the intellectual and the emotional aspects of our existence in a practical, meaningful way. Roger Lloyd said, humanism is ultimately a philosophy and an attitude towards life that exalts humankind as we are and as we might be. Pretty inspirational stuff. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't venture off a little bit and touch on the various flavors of humanism, or what I call hyphenated humanism. Humanism may not yet have cast a large shadow, but it does spread a broad umbrella. We are what Paul Ray called in his 1966 classic thesis, The Rise of Integrated Culture, cultural creatives. We're cultural creatives. We create culture right here in this room. Ray claims that in the United States alone, there's some 20 to 40 million of us. Depends on how, we, how you count and what criteria you use, but we're not alone. There's a whole lot of us out there. Before I get into all these cues in the spectrum of humanism, let me give some context by identifying just who or what is outside the spectrum. Out from under the umbrella on one side, we find secularists, the ones who primarily identify themselves as atheists. At the far opposite end of the universe, we find the fundamental religionists. Humanism is non-theistic, but don't confuse that with atheism. And likewise, don't confuse those who identify as secular humanists, in my opinion a redundant term, as humanism is secular by definition, but don't confuse them with atheism or secularism doesn't necessarily follow. British writer Janine Fowler, in her recently released book cleverly entitled Humanism, <laughs> explains it this way. Atheism is the belief that God does not exist. Humanism makes no such claim. We're agnostic. We don't know. You're apathetic. You don't care. <laughs> She goes on to ex explain the term atheism stands in contradiction to theism, which in its broadest sense means belief in a personal god, goddess, gods, and or goddesses. Kind of covered all the bases there. Again, humanism rejects that stance. 
We do not accept the supernatural, but nor do we deify science or dogmatize reason. As French diplomat and writer Paul Claudel put it, how amazing it is to be alive. Anyone who loves and breathes and has both feet on the ground, what possible reason could he or she have for envying the gods? So, you can depart from the right, leave the fundamentalist position, pass right through humanism and come out on the other secularist side. There's a left as well as a right boundary to our school of thought. Now, somewhere over on the left of this continuum, between fundamentalist religionists and seculars, is the spectrum of humanism. And on that spectrum, on one side are kind of the staunchly agnostic, and on the other end of it are, well, you, the ethical culturists, the Unitarians, and other liberal religionists. In a way, these two are expressions of individuality and of interdependence, not unlike Felix Adler's expression of the ethical manifold, one and many. Humanism embraces them all. In the vast world of hyphenated humanism, there are naturalistic and materialistic humanists, rational and responsible humanists, ethical and aesthetic humanists. There are literary and cultural humanists as well as philosophical and modern humanists. I'm beginning to sound like a barker up here. Step right up, folks. Get your happiness and good life. Skepticism, humorism, mutualism, realism, liberalism, and activism. Well, I guess I could hawk hyphenated humanism that way because the important aspect of humanism is just that, the humanism shared by all these different approaches to it. We're united by the core beliefs we shared, and dynamic because of our different views of it. The distinctions are never-ending, but we're all humanists. In the words of Kenneth Pfeiffer, ultimately, of course, the name does not matter. What matters is that we join with each other in seeking to do justice and to love mercy, walking humbly with one another in full respect of the preciousness and worth of every human life. That's what humanists do. And if that's what you do, or aspire to do, pretty hard to deny that you're a humanist. We move into the part I like best, the meaning of humanism today, how it plays out in our lives, how it works. The practical benefit of humanism is that it holds out hope for a peaceful, sustainable world. On a personal level, Humanism replaces a sense of isolation in an indifferent world with a feeling of being a meaningful part of all that is. It gives life direction and purpose, tempering impatient and often desperate idealism with confidence in one's unaided ability to contribute to a better world. Humanism provides values that guide us in making choices and offers hope in times of difficulty. The compassion of humanism is as limitless as that to which it connects us. Its truth is ever-expanding. That's how humanism plays out in our lives, through these simple, though not simplistic, beliefs. Humanism offers refuge in an ever-changing world of uncertainty, where the truths we were raised with no longer apply. The old story, the account of how we fit into the world, is no longer effective. We need something new, something to rely on, something to reassure us.
We need to know that we have a place in the world and that we are accepted for who we are. Humanism offers that security and more. The idea that there is a basic natural coherence behind occurrences adds to this sense of security. Confidence in the yet-to-be-known furthers this sense. There's a strong, deep certainty in nature's laws and in humanism. Humanism encourages us to feel we have undiscovered abilities, unknown potentials, more strength, creativity, and capacity for advancement than we imagine. Humanism offers ethical standards based on the foundational belief that we have a responsibility for the well-being of others as well as for ourselves. To humanists, matters of right and wrong action are practical ones. How will it affect the well-being of others and nature? How will it promote peace and sustainability? Our bond of connectedness is strengthened when we act so as to help each other not only with common problems and against common obstacles, but in achieving our full potential as human beings. That's what Adler was saying when he talked about the expansion of the human personality, about growing into our truer selves. He said, self-knowledge is the aim of life. Many are drawn to humanism because of its deep inspirational quality. John Dietrich of Minnesota said that all the virtues, all the values, all there is of goodness and justice, kindness and courtesy, is of our own creation. And we must sustain these things, or otherwise they will go out of existence. That's deeply inspiring and profoundly noble. It speaks to our ability and our responsibility. The reason it's inspiring rather than discouraging is its, its expression of confidence that we not only can do this, but that we indeed have done it and continue to do it. We can establish and sustain the good life for others and for ourselves. As humanists, we cannot see ourselves apart from nature, for in a sense, we are nature. We live our lives in a great enveloping process, far greater, far older than we. Yet we, as humans, impact that very process. As humanists, we look upon evolution as one of the elements of the integrated whole and feel we play a decisive role in the process. We live in the hope that we may yet awaken to the possibility of impacting evolution with human goodwill. When all is said and done, it is the accumulation of individual lives that makes change possible. Humanism teaches us how deeply involved we are with all of humanity and nature, while encouraging us to be individual and self-reliant. For some of us, the notion of independence seems most meaningful. For others, it's the concept of interdependence with each other and connectedness with nature. Whichever way an individual humanist looks at it, it comes down to us. The promise of humanism is happiness and good life here and now, but the promise is not a complete or perfect one. Our lives demonstrate that we as humans are not perfect, and evolution teaches that we're not complete. Humanism is on the growing tip of thought and continues urging our society 
towards positive development. Earlier I spoke of the unabated battle over the constitution of happiness. This seemed like as good a time as any to fearlessly leap into that fray with a humanist perspective. For humanists, happiness is not a possession, but a way of being. There's no space to happiness. It's not external, it's internal. Nor is there a temporal aspect. It's neither past nor future, but only of the present. Happiness is not a field of science. How we enjoy life and the things we have is subjective. So it's an art, an obtainable and improvable, if not perfectible, art. As Ed Erickson, ethical culturist extraordinaire and past leader of this very Washington Ethical Society, Ed put it in the humanist, his book, The Humanist Way, happiness in any enduring, meaningful sense is the outcome of growth to personal maturity. It's not given to us, we work at it. Happiness is for now, for us, but also for others, for evolution, and if not eternal, at least for the span of humankind. Leo Katz of the Long Island Ethical Society said, humanism requires being in touch with all of yourself, but acting in accordance with the better part of yourself. As humanists, we do not ascribe these better elements of existence to an abstract personification, but rather recognize them as aspects of ourselves, our better self. One of the most exhilarating things about humanism is that despite its long and rich history, it's still in its infancy. It's on the leading edge of progressive thought and belief. Humanism today is both progeny and progenitor, heir and realization of the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, and the Democratic Revolution promise and provoker of a better tomorrow. I want to conclude with one of my favorite passages on humanism. It was written by Fred Edwards, who's editor of the Humanist magazine. Humanism is a rational philosophy informed by science, inspired by art, and motivated by compassion. Affirming the dignity of each human being, it supports the maximization of individual liberty and, and opportunity consonant with social and planetary responsibility. It advocates the extension of participatory democracy and the expansion of the open society, standing for human rights and social justice. It recognizes human beings as part of nature and holds the values from human need and asserts that humanity must take responsibility for its own destiny. Now, if you find assuming a share of the responsibility for the destiny of humanity inspiring and meaningful, you are a humanist.